All right. Well, uh, hello again, everyone. We are finishing up a series today that we've been in for the past um, couple of weeks. This is part four, the final part of a series we've been in called Sent Together. And so uh, if this is your first time with us or the first time in a little while, I'm going to give us a quick crash course just by way of recap, and then we'll jump in. So uh, this series has been about this idea that, man, if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, that, that the Christian faith is not a spectator sport. Uh, it's not something that we just uh, kind of consume and we like, well, this is great for me, but it's just going to stay with me. That, but it's actually something that when we're following Jesus, there's an outward expression of that, uh, that he wants to work not just in us, but also through us. He sends us out on mission into a uh, into a broken world. And so, yeah, there's uh, some incredible things that we receive, right? Like uh, Jesus shows up and really does make your life better, not necessarily easier all the time, but better. And we experience joy and peace and love and forgiveness and all these incredible things. Uh, but then he, he turns around and says, yes, that, that's for you, but I also have purpose for you. I have a mission for you to be on. I'm doing something in the world and I want to work through you to do it. And so uh, it's this idea of um, evangelism. Uh, and sometimes the, the concept of evangelism gets a, a bad rap because it's been done poorly from time to time or a lot of times uh, in the church. Uh, sometimes evangelism can, can be pushy. Sometimes it can uh, make people feel like they're projects or it can, uh, it can seem judgmental uh, because of the tax that we take. Uh, but evangelism at its heart, it comes from the, this word, uh, this Greek word in the New Testament, euangelion, which simply means good announcement or good news. Uh, that the idea of evangelism is to go to somebody and say, I've got the best news ever in the entire world. Like the best thing ever has happened to me. It's incredible. It has changed my life. And my goodness, it's been so good. And I want you to experience too. So let me tell you about this good news. Um, it's done from a posture of, of wanting somebody else to experience something great. And the good news is that King Jesus has come. His kingdom is here. And we're invited to be a part of it. The King Jesus has come. Like the, like the primary declaration of the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord, not just Savior, although he is our Savior, but also he's Lord, he's King. It's like, I need someone to have authority over my life because when I'm the highest authority in my own life, is bad, okay? Like when, when I just do what I wanna do all the time, I blow up my life, I, I hurt people around me. That's kind of been the story of human history. And so Jesus is a good king, he's a wise king, he's a just king, he's a loving king. Uh, and so King Jesus has come and as our king, he has saved us and he invites us into his kingdom and everyone is invited in through faith in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel, that's the good news. He says, go tell people about that. You're a follower of Jesus, I want you to go make more followers. So that's where we've been in this series, talking about that from some from different angles. But today we're gonna wrap wrap things up uh, and, and talk about this, that if we're going to be people who are on mission, right? You're a follower of Jesus. He sends you out. He sends us out together. It's going to require a level of boldness. Like he, he sends us out boldly. Boldness is one of those words in kind of like our modern world that uh, while boldness can be a good thing, but oftentimes the way that we use it is used in a negative light, right? When, when, when you hear the phrase, like, like when you say something like, wow, that was bold, you think a good thing or a bad thing, right? It's kind of like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done that, but good for you. Like, or man, he's bold or she's bold. And, and a lot of times boldness carries this idea of somebody who's loud, somebody who's forceful uh, with their thoughts and opinions, someone who maybe is a little bit arrogant or like the deadly combination of ignorant and arrogant, right? Like, I really don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm convinced that I do and I need to tell you about it. Uh, opinionated, like this is what we think of boldness. And so we get these ideas or these concepts of like, uh, here's a bold take or a hot take. And when we have those kind of things, it's basically us saying, this is true. I believe this is true. I'm going to tell you it's true. And I don't care what you think. 
right? That's kind of like what a bold take is. So I've got some bold takes that I'd like to share with you this morning. And I have the microphone, so you've got to deal with it, okay? First bold take. You can fight me on this. Avocados are gross. Amen. <laughs> listen, listen. When did avocados become a thing? Like, it's just within the last 10 years. Like, growing up, I never heard anything about avocados. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, here's a picture of my avocado toast for breakfast, and I love guacamole, and I put avocado on every restaurant has an avocado option on a sandwich. And you're like, where did this come from? I'm convinced that, bi- that big avocado is behind all of it. Just trying to get us to love avocados. Here's what avocados taste like. They taste like cre- creamy lettuce, okay? It's just a general vegetable taste, but it's very, very creamy. And I like lettuce, but it's supposed to be crispy, not creamy. Avocados are gross, okay? That's, that's my bold take. Here's another bold take. Any, t- uh, any T-Swift fans in the room? It's okay to admit it, right? I see like two hands that are like, yes, let's go. Taylor Swift, okay, bold take. Old Taylor Swift is better than new Taylor Swift. Pre-1989 country version of Taylor is the supreme version of Taylor. It's a bold take. I don't care. Speaking of country music, maybe a bold take. New country music is awful, all right? Old stuff is better, all right? Last bold take. We, let, we really are into our coffee here at Hope Community. We've got some great coffee partners. If you don't know that, actually, Phoenix Roasters, where we, where we source all our coffee from, they're a missional coffee roasting company. They work with direct with farmers around the world, and their coffee supports a lot of great uh, work, and it's delicious. So bold coffee take. Starbucks is not good coffee. It's not good coffee, okay? These are some bold... Man, like, I, don't, I don't like giving bold takes and everyone's like, yes and amen, pastor. <laughs> You're ruining my illustration. No, um, but, but you, know, you say these things to some people and maybe some of you are like, those are fighting words. Am I allowed to like, rush the stage and punch a pastor in church, okay? <laughs> but here's the reality. Sometimes when we talk about boldness and sharing our faith, that's what we think of. Right, where we're like, I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I don't care if you, you like it. Um, this is where like the phrase, like, you know, you're beating somebody over the head with a Bible, like that kind of imagery. Uh, maybe some of us might be guilty of doing that from time to time. Some of us may have been on the receiving end of that before, where someone is just going to be so in your face about Jesus, and it's a boldness, but it's like, I don't think it's supposed to be like that. We are called to be bold when we live out our faith. We're called to be bold when we share our faith. But there's a way in which we do it. There's a source where our boldness comes from that makes it different than the boldness we were just talking about. So I want to talk about that this morning. A couple of passages we're going to look at. The first one is in the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew is one of uh, Jesus' original kind of first followers. Jesus is walking around on the planet. He, he calls 12 guys, say, come follow me, come follow me. Uh, Matthew is one of the 12, and he writes uh, kind of his uh, eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And uh, Matthew records this for us in Matthew chapter 10. And so uh, this is Jesus teaching his disciples, speaking to them, and he says this, therefore, don't be afraid of them. Now, starting here with therefore, this is in reference to what has come before it um, in the, the, the previous part of the chapter. And so what has happened is Jesus has sent out his 12 disciples. He sends them ahead of him to say, hey, go into all the towns and, uh, and, and tell them about me, tell them, announce the kingdom. And then he tells them though, but it's not going to be easy. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. We talked about that a little bit last week. And, and, and I, he, he lets them know you're going to be brought before um, the leaders and like rulers and kings and governors. In other words, like because you're proclaiming the gospel, you're, you're talking about this, this Jesus, this Messiah, like you're going to raise some eyebrows with some powerful people. Some of them are going to be curious. Some of them are going to feel threatened. But you should just know you're going to be in front of very uh, powerful people. So expect that. He also tells them in that passage that, Hey, for some of you, your own family is going to be against you. 
It's like brother against brother, you know, father against son, mother against daughter. Like, they're, 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 the people that, like, you love and are close to, you're, if you're following me, some of them might be like, I'm, I'm not cool with you following Jesus. You're like one of those weird Christian people now. I don't like that. And he kind of puts a, a summary statement on it. He says, hey, you know, they, they hated me, and so if you're my follower, they'll, they'll hate you too. Now, that's not a blanket statement, because sometimes people weaponize that. Christians will be like, well, you know, the world will hate us. I'm like, yeah, but they'll hate us because of Jesus, not hate us because we're jerks, all right? There's a difference. And he's like, but he, here's the reality. If you're following me, if you're living out your faith boldly, not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody's going to like it. So he, he's talked about all that. And so in light of all that, though, he says, but, you know, therefore, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. You, you can expect that, but you don't have to fear that. You can, you can expect that, but you can still live boldly and live faithfully. Don't be afraid of them. And he kind of points to this reason why. He says, there, there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. And so he, he kind of uh, talks a little uh, cryptically, but he's, he's getting at this, this moment like towards you know, the end of time. He's like, hey, this, this, what you're facing, if you're gonna be bold and you're facing kind of this persecution and people don't like you, it's temporary. It's temporary. Uh, that... that, that People are, are hating you because of me. So there's like evil in their hearts. You've not done anything wrong. You've not harmed them. You're living upright. You're doing the right things. And yet they don't like you for that. Someday what is covered, that, that hatred in their hearts will be made known to everyone. Uh, people will see clearly what their motivations were. Uh, one um, commentator wrote it this way. I thought it was pretty clear. He said, in other words, truth will win out. Justice will prevail. And those who have lived with integrity and innocence, talking about these disciples that Jesus is talking to and us, we're called to live this way. Those who have lived with integrity and innocence, despite what the world says about them, they'll be vindicated. And so he's like, you're gonna have these people who might be against you, who may not like what what you're saying. You're "You're old-fashioned and you're bigoted and you're all these different things. He's like, but listen, you just be faithful. And and you, you love God, you love people, you follow him faithfully, and in the end, you will be vindicated. I'm, there's a, a passage, um, I think it's in First Peter, uh, that, where Peter's talking to these disciples, or like the Christians who are living in the first century, and he, he makes this profound statement, and I love this, and I tell people this all the time. He says, they, even though like the world around you may claim all kinds of evil about you, like these Christians are that and they're that, but he says, live such a good life among them that those claims of those people, it puts them to shame. In other words, man, be so faithful, be so loving, like just carry yourself in such a way that even though people may say all kinds of things about you, that the way that you live in love puts them to shame. And this is kind of the same idea here. He's like, hey, don't worry about what people say about you. What is true will eventually come out in the end. So don't worry about that. It's going to work out. So therefore, what I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim it on the housetops, or some translations say, like, shout it from the rooftops. I'll shout it from the rooftops, baby, I'm ready to go. Anybody know that song? Okay, just saying. Um, yeah, so he's like, he's like, proclaim it, be loud. And, and, and here's the thing, it's like, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, whisper, uh, in a whisper, proclaim it from the rooftops. Uh, Jesus is using this kind of metaphoric language, talking about amplifying this message, talking about the message going out, talking about it growing from there. I mean, Jesus wasn't literally going around talking to his disciples only when it was dark out or whispering. It wasn't like, he's like, okay, guys, it's nighttime. I can teach you now. No, there, there were crowds of people. The religious leaders were there. The, the disciples were there. But he's like, kind of comparatively, it's like I've been whispering to you. This thing is starting small. But what I want you to do is I want you to shout it. I want you to go speak this into the dark. I want you to take this into the dark. I want everyone to see this. I want everyone to hear this. Proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come here. 
don't be afraid of the people who might harm you or whatever, but be bold. Be bold. Live faithfully. Live faithfully. Do what's right. Verse 28 goes into some more detail. He says, so so don't fear those who kill the body, but who are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. So, in other words, who, who, who can kill the body, right? Anybody. Like, that's what people could do. It's like, you're, you're worried about the rulers and the authorities who literally have, have the ability to put you in prison, who have the ability to, to have you killed if, if that's what they want to do. Um, but they're not able to kill the soul. In other words, once you're dead, that's the worst thing they can do to you. What is the worst thing that somebody can do to you? They, they can kill you, right? He's like, but that's actually not the biggest concern. Be concerned about the one, and he, he uses this language, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That there's something more than just physical death. The, the, the heartbeat of what he's saying is don't fear people, fear God. Like there's a healthy fear of God. We, when we think fear, it's oftentimes there's like malicious intent attached to it. We automatically think fear and it's like, oh, it's bad. It's a, it's a malicious thing. It's a malevolent thing. It's an evil thing. But there is a, a sense of fear, that the way that the scripture talks about fear in which it's more of a sense of awe, a sense of respect, a sense of reverence. Um, th- this idea, we even actually have this, this kind of turn of phrase in our culture that would say, um, you know, I have a healthy fear for whatever, fill in the blank. That when you understand something, when you see something the right way, uh, you have a healthy fear for it. And so it's this idea of saying, okay, I, I see who God is, I understand who he is, and then I see who I am in light of who he is, and I realize, like, I am not on that level. You're God, and I'm not. So he says, don't fear people, fear God. In other words, what weighs heavier in your life? When, when you think about like the things that I think and the things that I say and the things that I do, the way that I live, what concerns me? What keeps me up at night? What do I wake up thinking about? What is driving my thoughts and my actions? Am I more concerned? What weighs into that more? What people think about me or what God thinks about me? What the world around me is gonna think about me or am I living faithfully to what he has called me to do? Don't fear those who can kill the body but not the soul. Rather, fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And still, like, there's kind of that sense of, like, okay, fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That feels a little, like, scary, right? Um, And so he clarifies the way that God thinks about us. In the next verse, he says, aren't uh, two sparrows sold for a penny? I'm like, I guess so. I don't know. (laughs) Never bought sparrows. Um, That's a good deal, though, a penny. The point is, like, hey, they're, 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 you can buy, they're, they're, you know, a dime a dozen is the phrase that, that we would have. They're not worth much. Two sparrows are sold for a penny, and yet not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly Father's consent. Like he, he knows about the sparrows. Verse 30, but even the hairs of your, of your own head have all been counted. But God knows you so well that he knows the number of hairs on every single person in this room's head. Now, I'm not, not judging anyone, but some have more hairs than others. And some, it's like a countdown clock, right? <laughs> Less hairs today than there was yesterday. And I say some because you guys wonder why I fix my hair up because you can't tell that it's going back as much when I do that. Um, but he, he knows you so well and cares about you so deeply that even the, the hairs of your head have been counted. So he says, don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. He says, don't fear what, what people, don't worry about what people think about you. Be more concerned about what God thinks about you. And in case you're wondering, here's what God thinks about you. You're loved. You're valued. 
He knows you intimately. He knows you deeply. He, like, he has you. So don't worry about what other people think. Now, this is the, the message that Jesus is, is giving to his 12 disciples. That's the immediate context there. But it's also a message that he gives to this generation of his followers and disciples as well. Go out and live faithfully for me. Go proclaim the gospel. Go let everybody know. Shout it from the rooftops. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. There will be opposition. Not everyone is going to like it. So I'm sending you out boldly. In spite of what people might say and how difficult it might be, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out, and it is worth it. You've got to be bold with this faith. You've got to be bold with this life. And here's where we get to kind of like the, uh, I guess, the tension, where we can cross a line from boldness into something not so good. We talked about at the beginning this idea that boldness can kind of sometimes be a negative thing. But boldly, in the sense of, the, of what Jesus is, is pointing us towards, boldly does not mean harshly. Boldly does not mean judgmentally. Boldly does not mean arrogantly. It's a boldness that has a different source and a, and a, and a different strength to it. So a couple of decades after Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, um, a guy comes along by the name of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and Paul, he, uh, what he does is he, he goes around starting all these little churches, these gatherings, these Jesus communities that pop up all around the, the Roman Empire. And, and like these are people that they have no idea. They're, they're coming. Some of them are, are, are Jewish who've accepted Jesus as their Messiah. Other ones are like, uh, they've come out of the Greco-Roman kind of worship of the pantheon of gods. And they're like, okay, we're following Jesus. Now, how do we do that? We don't really know. I guess we're going to figure it out as we go along. Uh, and so Paul and some of the other apostles, they write letters to these churches. It's like, hey, here's how you faithfully follow Jesus in, in, in the world around you. We have some of those letters collected into the New Testament. And Paul gives us some instruction in his second letter to the Corinthians that points us to what does it look like to live boldly and to be on mission boldly. Um, it, we're going to time out. It's halftime, halftime of the sermon here. It's not lost on me because it's been bothering me, my peripheral vision the whole time that there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no words up there. I'm guessing that's on my end. Well, well, we're going to pause this for a commercial break. Let me try to fix that. I didn't have a good stopping point, so, you know, I just, I just had, to, I had to roll with it. You guys never know what you're going to get when you show up at Hope Community. Oh, hey, it's back. There, oh, it's, it's, it's happening. It's happening. So you missed the first section of scriptures. But if you want to go back and check them out, by the way, uh, those are uh, Matthew chapter 10. You'll find that. I am crazy. This is true. All right, here we go. Here's Paul's letter to the Corinthians that shows us a little bit of what it means to be bold. So Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, right? And uh, he, he's, he's talking to them from this perspective of him and the other apostles and the ministry that they've had to these churches and the posture that they've taken and the way that they've shared the gospel. So Paul says this, this is 2 Corinthians chapter four. Therefore, since we have this ministry, like we have, we're ministering to you, we're sharing the gospel with you, we're proclaiming Jesus to you. We have this ministry because we were shown mercy, so we don't give up. So here's the basis of what bold gospel declaration looks like, according to Paul. It's like the ministry that we have to you is because we were shown mercy. We were shown mercy. So Paul says, listen, like, I have stuff in my own life. I'm not just telling you about Jesus. I need him. 
Like I've received God's mercy. The heart of the gospel comes along and says, you and me and every person on the planet, we are messed up. Like sin is a part of, like it's in the world out there. We're affected by it, but we're also infected by it. It's within us and we contribute sin and evil to the world. And Jesus shows up and says, I wanna free you from that. I wanna forgive you from that. I'm gonna die for you on the cross. I'm gonna rise from the dead. And so there's this realization as a follower of Jesus, I am no better than anybody on the planet. And Paul's like, yeah, we were shown mercy. Like in my own life, I've got my own junk that I deal with. I've got issues. I've got stuff. And Jesus said, I'm trying to work that out of you and you're a work in progress and my mercy and my grace, they're for you and you are forgiven. Paul says like, that's why we have this ministry. So like a bold declaration of the gospel has to come from, I'm not better than anybody. I'm not better than you. I'm not better. But, but because God has been so good to me and Jesus has been so merciful to me, I want to tell you about him as well because he's changed my life and he can change yours. So there's like the foundation. We were shown this mercy, so we, we don't give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. And so he's kind of pleading his case with the, with the Corinthians. He's like, we've not been secret or shameful. We've not been deceitful with you guys. We've not distorted the word of God, but we have commended ourselves before God and everybody else too, everyone's conscience. And so he's saying like, we, we've come to you honestly. We, we've not had any kind of, there's been no bait and switch with our gospel declaration. We've not tried to manipulate anybody into uh, following Jesus. We've not tried to hide anything from you. We've not tried to sugarcoat anything. The, the, our conscience is clear that we have carried ourselves with integrity before God and before people. We have given you the clear gospel. But instead, if our gospel is veiled, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so he said, listen, we're not hiding anything. We've, we've, we've like presented the gospel. We've told you about Jesus clearly as we know how. And if it is veiled, if it does seem hidden to someone, if somebody is like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that Jesus, it's like, it's not on us. That the world around us and the God of this age has blinded them. So Jesus sends us out on mission. And that's exciting. And we see him change lives. But there's also the sobering reality that not everybody wants that. Right, where, where it's like, hey, here's the gospel. Here's what Jesus has done. He's, he's incredible and he's changed my life and he can change your life. Some people may say, no. And Paul's like, like that's, that's not on us. If you've, if you've clearly pr 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 presented the gospel, if you've clearly kind of pointed people to Jesus, like there are some people who it says this age and the God of this age. Like the way that this world operates in the brokenness and the sin and the darkness around us, things they are just kind of like, hey, this is normal and this is good. And you're like, this isn't good. This is killing people. This is hurting people. This is destroying people. But there's a way in which the world works where we've, we've defined evil as good and good as evil. And there's a, a, a God or a ruler of this age. The way the New Testament authors will talk about kind of the, the adversary, Satan, the prince of darkness, that he's having his way in, in this current age. And the reality is, man, sometimes people are, are kind of locked into that. Now, the good news is nobody is a lost cause. Right? We keep praying for people. We keep trying to reach people, that God can change people even though we can't. But there's just this idea, he's like, hey, be prepared for that. Be prepared for that. Verse four, or excuse me, verse five. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So back, Paul's back to the way that they're presenting the gospel. He's like, we're not proclaiming ourselves. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. 
It's like the, the, the Christian life, for, for, forget just declaring the gospel and being on mission, not being about us. The Christian life isn't about us. He's like, we're not proclaiming ourselves as Lord, but Jesus as Lord. The primary declaration, again, of the gospel is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. He is the authority. And with him as the authority, we are on mission. And Paul says, listen, we're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus and ourselves. Here's who we are in this equation. We're just servants. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about those who are around us. We are servants on Jesus' behalf for his glory. We're not proclaiming ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus and who are we serving in proclaiming Jesus? Who are we serving as we are on mission? Mission, People around us. It's like, this is how you declare the gospel. It says, hey, if you don't know Christ, if, you don't, if you're not a part of a church, man, if you don't have this, this community, if you're, not, if you're not living for him, if you're not part of his kingdom, it's like, I, I am here to serve you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to point you to Jesus in that way. Our bold declaration of the gospel must come through the posture of a servant, through a posture of love, through a posture of sacrifice. It can never come through a posture of what can I get out of this. The moment our, our declaration of the gospel, our loving people, our talking to people, the moment it shifts even slightly into what can I get out of this, it's no longer the gospel. It's about how can we serve, how can we love for God, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul makes this, this reference to uh, the book of Genesis. God is creating, and it's this picture of him bringing order out of chaos. There's a dark, chaotic, watery kind of world, and God begins to speak and brings order, brings beauty, and creates this place for human flourishing. And as he begins to do that, he begins to speak, and he speaks light into the darkness. And so Paul picks up on that imagery and starts using that to describe what it looks like for, um, for, for Jesus to come into our lives. He's like, there was darkness, there's chaos, there's disorder in our hearts, in our souls, and, and the light of Christ has come into that darkness. There's that light that is now in you, that is now shining through you. And he finishes the idea by saying, now we have this treasure. What is the treasure? It's Christ in us. It's what he's doing in us. It's what he's doing through us. It's his, his transformation in our lives. It's his power in our lives. We have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We have this, this treasure, the treasure, this extraordinary power being who Jesus is and what he has done. It's like, that's what's valuable. That's what's powerful. And he says, we, we have that, we're just clay jars. Like you and I as people, we're, we're, we're clay pots, clay jars. That The idea that we're just ordinary. We're stained, we're cracked, we're broken. But yet there's something within us that, that is beyond comprehension. That if your faith is in Christ, his spirit is living within you. He has transformed you. Even though you and I, we have our issues and we have our junk and we have our stuff in our, in our past, in our present, we'll have some things in our future. But what makes us valued and loved and, and like God working through us has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. It's who he is. It's what he's doing. Like sometimes there, there's a healthy balance, right, where... We are made in the image of God and we are loved and we are valued. But there's almost this, this cultural thing that happens this moment where it's like, you, you are all awesome and you are incredible and there is absolutely nothing wrong with you and you are a unicorn and you are a snowflake. Like you are you're one in a million and all of these things. And it's like, yes, I guess, like you are unique. 
But at the same time, even though each of us are unique, we're not really all that unique or all that special. None of us are perfect. We have our stuff. We have our junk. We have the things that we, this is like, oh, gosh, I'm so broken. Paul's like, yeah, you're a clay pot. But what is within you? And Jesus has died for you. Your faith is in him. He is living within you. That's where the power comes from. That's where the transformation comes from. That's where the purpose comes from. We have this treasure in jars of clay and this extraordinary power, the power of the gospel to change us, the power of the gospel to change the world is from God and not from us. In this passage in Corinthians, man, Paul's like, this is what it looks like to be declaring the gospel boldly. This is what it looks like to be on mission. It's, it's a purpose that is bigger than ourselves, that Jesus sends us out boldly, but it's not in our own confidence. It's not in our own power. It's not in our own ability. It's not in our own, our own flawlessness, our, our ability to be convincing. It's based on something that is greater than ourselves. It's based on who he is and what he is doing. When Paul says we're like jars of clay holding treasure to show the value that Jesus adds to the message that we carry, it's that, that you and I seem ordinary, but with Jesus, we are filled with a treasure. We are filled with a light that spills out into others to where they see us and they don't see us anymore, they see him. That's where the boldness comes from. When we start to think where it's like, if I'm gonna be bold for my faith, I have to have answers and I have to be convincing and I have to live this perfect life. The minute we start to think that, we actually, we lose the power and we put all this pressure on ourselves to think we have to be perfect. But when we understand what the New Testament is saying, it's like, no, you can be used exactly as you are because it's not about you, it's about him who is in you. Jesus has empowered us, each one of you, with a story that the world needs. The, the story of the gospel that the world needs, with the love that our world needs, with the strength that our world needs, with the, just the way to be human, the way to exist in the world that leads to flourishing, that people so desperately need, with the hope that the world needs, that you have people in your lives, you have friends, you have family members, you have coworkers, who have neighbors, who are broken, who are hurting, who need this, and Jesus says, I wanna send you to do it, but you gotta be bold about it. You gotta be bold about it. You have a story that will point people to Christ. And he sends us out on mission. Go, tell people, show people. Have confidence in that because our confidence is in him, not in ourselves. He sends us out boldly. Let me give us just three quick steps on how to be bold. Three things that we can do. Because sometimes we talk about being bold with our faith, we talk about sharing our faith. And it's like, okay, what, what, what do I do now? What do I do now? So first thing, three steps to take. Number one, step confidently. It's what we just talked about that. Like, you are who you need to be and where you need to be for God to use you. Like, he knows who you are. He knows your strength. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your abilities. He knows the, the people that he's put you around. Don't try to pretend to be someone you're not. Like, sometimes we do this in our minds. We think, well, a person who, you know, shares their faith, they, they look like this and they sound like this and they have to act like this. Like, don't be someone you're not. Be exactly who he has made you to be. Now, that's not to say that he's not transforming us and working in us because sometimes we can be like, all right, I'm exactly who he's made me to be. And then we just kind of stay stuck. No, he wants to continue to transform us and change us and shape us, but know that he can use you exactly as you are and where you are. So step confidently to be bold. Number two, step towards someone. Again, sometimes we're like, I'm gonna be bold with my faith, but then we don't have like a, a direction for that. So take a step towards someone this week. Someone specific. I want you to think of a name. Who is someone in your life that needs Jesus? And maybe that's like they've never, you know, never accepted Christ. They've never made that decision. Or maybe it's someone who's just like, you know, they're a Christian, but they, they need to kind of come back in or they need, a, they need a church community or they just need encouragement to take another step in their faith. Who is someone that you can step towards this week in a bold way? And that may be something as simple as, you know, shooting a text message to a friend to say, hey, 
Want to come sit with me in church this week? We're starting a new series next week. It's a perfect time to invite someone. Say, hey, we're, my church is starting a new series. I would love for you to, to come with me. We'll grab lunch afterwards. You can bribe them with lunch. That's okay. But just to take that step. Maybe it's just sharing your story with someone. It's like, hey, here's who I am, where I've come from, what Jesus has done. Here, here's a great one. Maybe it's just, it's not even talking. It's, it's asking. Ask someone, hey, what can you, would you mind telling me your story? Like, who are you? Where do you like, as it relates to faith and stuff, and then just listen. Let that begin a dialogue between you and another person. Step towards someone. Finally, step together. We hit on this idea last week, but being on mission is not something that we're meant to do alone. It's something that we do together. We're in this together. We're in this as a, as a church, as a community of faith. We're, we're in this with one another. We're, we're doing this together. And so as you think about stepping out boldly, being bold with your faith, talk to your friends. You got people who are journeying on this faith journey with you, talk to them about it. You're in a small group, talk to the people who are in your group, talk to your small group leader. Be like, hey, I wanna take this step, but I don't really know what that looks like. Would you help me figure that out? Share your, your hesitations and your worries and your doubts with them. Like, man, I know I need to do this, but I'm terrified and I don't know how to do it. And, and w- would you help me walk through that? Ask them to pray for you, they'll do that. You're not in this alone. Listen, as we kind of wrap this series um, up, my prayer for us is that we would choose to be bold with the things that really matter. Because sometimes, we're, man, we're, we're bold with a lot of things that don't matter. Like, we get really passionate and fired up about things that are like, that doesn't matter. Like avocados, okay? They don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Or like our, our music preferences. Or we get really bold, really fired up about, you know, political opinions and all these things. And I'm not saying they're not important, but in the grand scheme of things, they're not what's most important. Let's choose to be bold about what is most important. And there's, and there's nothing more important than what Jesus is doing in you, what he wants to do through you, and the mission that he is sending you on in this world. So let's be bold. Let's be sent out together. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are, for the way that you love us. Lord, we thank you that um, you do invite us to be on mission with you. We thank you that, that we don't, that's not something we're doing on our own or under our own power. God, if we were on our own to do that, we would be just complete, just utter and total disasters. We thank you that, that we are just, we're just clay pots, we're jars, we're ordinary, we're broken, we're stained, we're cracked, we have our issues, and yet, Lord, you, you choose to love us, to die for us, to redeem us, to send your spirit to live within us. Jesus, may that be the source of our strength, may that be the source of our power, of our boldness. God, my prayer is that you would continue to transform each one of us, that we may know more and more of just your goodness in our lives, and Lord, that you would work through us as people see the lives that we live and the words that we speak, that they would be drawn to you. I pray this in your name.